Good morning, church. Um, we're going to be reading from uh, chapter uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 8. We'll start at um, verse 11. Uh, and then we're going to go through to chapter 9, um, verse 14, and then jump down a bit to 25 to 29. Uh, so please uh, get out your Bibles. Um, so Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 11, to begin with. Um, it's also up behind me. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands, ordinances and statutes that I am giving you today. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in and your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold multiply and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the place of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers had not known, in order to humble and test you, so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. You may say to yourself, My power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your fathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve them and bow and worship to them, I testify against you today that you will perish Like the nations the Lord is about to destroy before you, you will perish if you do not obey the Lord your God. Listen, Israel. Today you are about to cross the Jordan to enter and drive out nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities fortified to the heavens. The people are strong and tall, the descendants of the Anakim. You know about them and you have heard it said about them. Who can stand up to the sons of Anak? But understand that today the Lord your God will cross over ahead of you as a consuming fire. He will devastate and subdue them before you. You will drive them out and destroy them swiftly as the Lord has told you. When the Lord your God drives them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord brought me in to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. Instead, The Lord will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness. You are not going to take possession of their land because of your righteousness or your integrity. Instead, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness. In order to fulfill the promise he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God in the wilderness. You have been rebelling against the Lord from the day you left the land of Egypt until you reached this place. You provoked the Lord at Horeb and he was angry enough with you to destroy you. When I went up the mountain to receive the stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant the Lord made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I did not eat food or drink water. 
On the day of the assembly, the Lord gave me the two stone tablets inscribed by God's finger. The exact words were on them, which the Lord spoke to you from the fire on the mountain. The Lord gave me the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant, at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord said to me, Get up and go down immediately from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I have commanded them. They have made a cast image for themselves. The Lord also said to me, I have seen this people, and indeed, they are a stiff-necked people. Leave me alone, and I will destroy them and blot out their name under heaven. Then I will make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. And then down to verse 25. I fell down in the presence of the Lord 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had threatened to destroy you. I prayed to the Lord. Lord God, do not annihilate your people, your inheritance, whom you redeemed through your greatness and brought out of Egypt with a strong hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Disregard this people's stubbornness and their wickedness and sin. Otherwise, those in the land you brought us from will say, Because the Lord wasn't able to bring them into the land he had promised them, and because he hated them, he brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. But they are your people, your inheritance, whom you brought out by your great power and outstretched arm. Well, good morning. Great to be with you this morning as we tackle another uh, kind of heavy, great passage from Deuteronomy. Uh, thank you for reading that so well, Lisa. Uh, we've skipped over some, some parts. Indeed, we're skipping over chunks in Deuteronomy, but we're hoping that in this series that we will cover the breadth of it enough to, uh, to teach us uh, about the character of God, uh, the people of Israel, and our part in God's uh, salvation story. Now, it's fair to say that we all kind of need uh, a bit of guidance, w- would you say? Um, now, I remember uh, driving to Kel's house when I was dating her. I lived in Bankstown, she lived in Menai, God's country, woo! Um, and uh, to, get, to get there, I had a, like a street directory, you know, on, on, the, on the passenger seat, I had a whole bunch of sticky notes and, uh, and, you know, occasionally I'd bring it over to my lap, there'd be some dodgy like page turning, uh, they'd be looking up, looking down, it was terrible, but we got there, but that was kind of, that's kind of how I did it then, and I think that's that before Siri and Google Maps and stuff, uh, that's how we got around, we, our guidance came from street directories, what is a street directory, you might say, for the younger people? Um, now, most, most of us would know what a street directory is, I'll save that joke for 6pm, um, but now, you know, we've just, in our car, just had installed, because uh, our, our, you know, stereo broke or whatever, we've now got uh, CarPlay, which means I can say, hey Siri, take me to wherever. And, you know, up comes the directions, and I just follow them, like, you know, a robot. Uh, but it's funny, right, when you look at the street directories, the guidance that I receive from Google, oh, actually, Siri just popped up on my iPad. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wait, it's, that's weird, stop. Um, 
Uh, how, many, how many times when you've actually received guidance from Google do you say, oh, Google, that's not the right way, uh, and, and you take the kind of way that you have in your mind only to find there's like a no right turn or, or kind of like a whole bunch of traffic and you're like, oh, Google, you did know. Uh, that is how guidance works so often. It's how our heart kind of responds to guidance. Um, and I wonder if I was to continue this kind of metaphor uh, in, our, in sort of how we receive guidance, I wonder if you too might have received a suspiciously nondescript envelope asking for a mandatory donation to the government encouraging better driving. Uh, I might have received one of those uh, in my time. Uh, <laughs> we, we need discipline sometimes, don't we, in, in the way that we are guided towards the good, uh, in the way that we are, are encouraged to grow. Now, all this is to say, we need guidance. And God gives us guidance. Uh, This kind of two-part series, as it were, I'm calling Following a Holy God. Uh, And in this kind of first week, I wanted to dig into these two chapters to look at what it means to obey. Because when we obey God, we are saying, we are listening to your guidance. And as we heard last week, Shema, the Hebrew for listen, doesn't just mean kind of listen, it actually means to, to, to listen and do, uh, that those two words are condensed in Hebrew. And, and so when we listen to God, we are, that, that, that ought to kind of come out in our practice, in our response, because we've listened and, and responded. Now, part of this is going to be a bit of an apologetic of obedience. Uh, we're not heaps big on the word obedience, I've noticed in culture. Um, my kids aren't particularly big on that word either. Um, we... Some of that comes from our distrust in the authorities above us. Uh, A lot of that comes from uh, being soaked in the Disney gospel, that we're just to let our own hearts sing and kind of do whatever we want, really, because we know better. Either way, we are suspicious of obedience. And so we have to do some work to kind of see what it is that we, who it is we are called to obey and whether we trust God in that. But before we kind of start, there's a couple of words that I've noticed in this passage that are repeated a lot. I don't know if you noticed a repetition of words. We skipped over some parts, but there was still a great repetition of words. I saw, be careful, a number of times. I saw, remember, and do not forget. So it's not just a case of obey, obey, obey. It's couched in a love. You kind of see Moses' pastoral heart for his people as they stand on the edge of the promised land. Be careful. Okay, we are kind of in the presence of a holy God. Be careful. We've really messed up in the past. Remember who God is. Remember how, kind of how we responded, how we failed. Do not forget these things so that we might listen and enjoy the blessings of God. All right, with that in mind, let's dig in to this first part. Because the premise or kind of the, 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 kind of the background of obedience, uh, being guided by God, as it were, responding to Him, is actually a remembrance of how God has guided you. Do you see this? as we look to kind of God's guidance and listen to Him and obey, it's actually a response to how He has already led us. He's taken the initiative. Uh, Now, to dig into this part uh, and to not make the Bible reading too long, I'm actually going to spend a little bit of time uh, in the verses uh, beforehand. Uh, That's just big enough to read, I reckon. Um, 
But uh, I, the reason why I want to put it up on the screen is because I want us to kind of pay attention to some very particular words here as we look at these opening verses of chapter 8. Uh, so I've already mentioned here that Moses calls um, Israel to, to carefully uh, listen, to carefully follow every command, carefully obey, as it were. So be attentive so that you, might li- you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your ancestors. So we have a promise that God will lead them into the promised land. Now, there's more than just kind of a carrot and a stick here, okay? That's, you know, there's, there's a simplicity to kind of, you know, and a crude simplicity to kind of narrowing that down. But I want us to dig us a little bit further here. So again, remember is the first word. And it keeps coming up time and time again. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey, these 40 years in the wilderness. Now, now the leading of God is, of course, rooted in, in kind of the greater story and, and kind of the root of the identity of Israel. That is that God led them with a mighty outstretched arm out of the oppression of Egypt and, and through the Red Sea. This is part of who Israel is as God's people. And it had nothing to do with them. In fact, all they did was grumble. They, and, and rightly so. God listened to their, their cries of oppression. And He raised up Moses. And through Moses, God led His people out of Egypt. It was, it's an incredible story. We, we all know it, I'm sure. We don't, we don't have time to go into the details. But you could imagine what it would be like to be led out of such kind of power and oppression. You know, the greatest empire of that ancient time. And, and, and as they were led out, woo, we're free! <laughs> uh, only to find yourself kind of walled in by cliffs on one side, the Red Sea on the other, and the Egyptians kind of, you know, uh, hammering down behind you. And so that kind of like, woo, we're free, quickly disappears when you find yourself in that predicament. But God is not surprised by such things. In fact, He leads us through all kinds of circumstances so that we might know that He leads us, that it's His plan, that He is powerful. And what did God do? Through Moses, who raised up His hands, the Red Sea was parted so that the Israelites could pass through. Now, just in case they thought that they could have got out of Egypt in their own strength, just in case, there is no way that happens, the parting of the Red Sea, without God leading them in power. Yes? There's just no no way. It can't happen otherwise. It's a total miracle. Okay, and so on the other side of that, and they look, they look back and they see the Egyptians on the other side, they see the Egyptians also kind of washed away as the walls of water collapse in on them. They, they, they must have said, God is good. He has led us into salvation. We will trust Him for all our days. <laughs> yeah? It doesn't quite work like that, does it? How quickly they forget. And hence, uh, Moses is saying here, remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey of these 40 years. Now, interesting that Moses there, when he talks about the 40 years, isn't actually even referring to how God led them out of Egypt. He's saying God led you for the last 40 years. Because he's led them the last 40 years because they forgot that God led them out of Egypt. And they grumbled and they disobeyed. And a couple of weeks ago, I already sort of recounted the story of when they were actually close to the promised land. And God said, do it in this way. And they they said, actually, no, we're scared. We'll do it our way. 
And as a response, God handed them over to their consequences of their sin, of their disobedience, but then also led them back into the desert of 40 years. And in God's mercy, God continued to lead them. He didn't just leave them to the consequences of their sin. He didn't just judge them. In His mercy, He led them for another 40 years in the wilderness. But look at how Moses then goes on to talk about this. So that, we should always pay attention to these words, so that He might humble you and test you to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. What do you make of that? God actually humbled them and tested them to know what was in their hearts. It is actually altogether appropriate that we are humbled before God, lest we forget He is God. You know, there was one rule in the garden uh, with Adam and Eve, to not eat of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, right? And that was kind of a kind of a statement to remind them that they were creatures and they were created by the Creator. They could not cross that gap. They were to honour God as God and live in dependence on Him. In the same way, God is causing them, lest they rise above their station and think that they are better than God and disregard His words, it is appropriate they are humbled before God, and even tested. I'll come back to that testing in a moment. But, but, but as God humbled them and tested them, He wanted to know what was in their heart. It is easy to, in a way, to, to just go through kind of a bunch of rules, you know, tick, 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 done, I've done obedience. You know, we do that in school, right? We kind of, we look on the surface, like if you can recount that many years ago, perhaps, uh, you know, we look on the surface like we're, we're, we're being good, we're kind of obeying, but our heart may be far from actually respecting the teacher, <laughs> of listening, of kind of, you know, even, you know, under the table there's kind of stuff going on and kind of in other ways we're sort of disobedient. But, but God sees our heart. And he, wasn't, he doesn't just want some kind of lip service. He wants us to be devoted to Him as a response to God's devotion to them. For God has devoted Himself to this people out of His own mercy to save them, to draw them to Himself. And He doesn't just want some kind of religious obedience, but He wants them. And He wants them to obey out of a devotion to Him. Our hearts are kind of like a sponge. Uh, I don't know if you've got one of those uh, yellow sponges, uh, often with like a green kind of, you know, wipey thing next to your sink. Do you have one of those? If you do, that's disgusting. They are disgusting. <laughs> but our heart is like that, you know, like, you know, there's kind of a bit of, you know, you know wheat beaks that got fell over the bowl, you know, just wipe that up, yeah, that's all good. Um, there's a bit of kind of, you know, cooking oil that kind of sprayed out of the fry pan, kind of just wipe that up. There's milk. There's milk on the table. Wipe that up. That's disgusting. <laughs> because you know what happens the next day, right? Uh, you go to use it again, you squeeze it out, and out comes this yogurt. I didn't put yogurt in there. That's the milk from yesterday. <laughs> and it stinks, and I've just wiped it all over my bench. <laughs> but yet it sits there all sprightly and yellow. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> use me. <laughs> 
That's our heart. Our heart looks all sprightly and yellow until it's squeezed a little and then stuff comes out. Yeah? So we kind of look like we've got it all together. We kind of even think of ourselves quite well until we're under pressure, until we're under stress. Do you get angry when you are stressed? When someone else succeeds, are you bitter? What, what are you carrying around in the crevices, in the darkness of your heart that's invisible to others, perhaps even to yourself at times? It's when we're under pressure that our character is revealed. And God had so humbled His people so as to just squeeze their heart, even gently and tenderly, to see what was in it, so that He might teach them, so that He might discipline them, in a loving way, right? We see later on in the passage here that God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Does the, does the man discipline his son because he's angry? No, because he loves the son. And so too with God. But he wants to do business with their hearts because God knows that unless their hearts are devoted to Him, that even their best obedience is a product of a disobedient will, heart. And we've just been called in the previous passage, what? To love God with all our, do you remember? Heart, strength, soul, mind, the whole shebang. And God wants them to be fully devoted to Him as He is fully devoted to them. Now, what did this kind of testing look like for Israel? Well, the testing looked like this, right? Uh, He let them go hungry, now, he didn't really, in a sense, right? Because, because he gave them manna to eat. But he so brought them out into, into the desert, into the wilderness, so that they might see how he leads them. And you might have thought that they would have learned from kind of their, their times when they're like, oh God, why did you bring us out in this desert to die? But yet God appeared to them as a, as a pillar of fire by night and a, a pillar of cloud by day, just to remind them that the holy God is present among them. But not only that, He gave them manna to eat daily so that He might test whether they trust Him. So that every morning to see if their hearts would say, God, I'm thankful for you and for your daily provisions. Yeah? It's actually a, a kind of it, it's a, in a way, it's kind of a, a beautiful kind of relationship that God is, is putting on display here in, in the way that He's providing for His people and to see if they would respond in, in trust, in dependence. Sometimes we are tested in all kinds of ways and circumstances, sometimes as a result of our sin, as God disciplines us, as He calls us back. Now, let us not kind of think that God's hand is heavy upon us in, in judgment. We'll, we'll come back to that. Uh, but, but it is appropriate that just as a good parent knows how to discipline their child, that, that God would so test us to see what is in our heart. And the godly response is, God, I see the mess in my heart. <laughs> I see what's coming out of that sponge and I need you. And I know you've led me before, I know you've provided, would you help me depend on you? Would you help me take another step of faith? 
That's the godly response. The other response is to curse God for the way he, you feel He's testing you, <laughs> to, to, to not listen to Him, to, to do things in your own strength instead of His. Have you noticed in seasons of, of, of great blessing, maybe your, your kind of dependence has shrunk a little bit on God? And maybe in times of, of great need, you go either two ways, right? One is kind of desperate dependence on God, or one is kind of a great frustration at God. But at one level, at least God is in the picture. I'm actually a big fan of a raw faith that actually holds out kind of like even a, a fist at God to say, what's going on? But at least God is, in the, is, is kind of in the center of that uh, messy kind of faith. God is humbling them, is testing them, so that He might know what's in their heart in order that they might be devoted to Him in response to His devotion to them. And so we're back to the beginning. Carefully follow every command I am giving you today, Moses says, so that you may live uh, and increase and may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your ancestors. Let God lead you. (laughs) He's led you to here. Obey Him. Listen to Him. Let Him lead you into blessings. And that's put... Oops, sorry, one second... And this is how verse 6 finishes, so keep the commands of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and fearing Him, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Now, that all sounds pretty simple, really, when you frame it like that. (laughs) But, but, when you squeeze the sponge, things aren't so simple. Do you feel like the sponge has been squeezed a little bit recently? Do you feel kind of your heart wandering from the simplicity of this call to listen to God and obey Him? We are so fickle. Moses knows that, and so he goes on. All right, let's let's pick up uh, the story here, chapter 9, as as Moses says, listen, Israel, today you're about to cross the Jordan. Uh, And let's skip down to where we, into the reading, where we got uh, down to verse 10. On the day of the assembly, the Lord gave me the two... Oh, sorry, that's too far ahead. All right, verse 10 there. Let me try and find my verse here. Uh, Okay, here we go. Uh, When the Lord your God, verse 4, drives them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord brought me in to take the possession of this land because of my righteousness. Do you see what's happening there? Moses knows what might happen in their heart as they kind of listen to God for this moment and then receive God's blessing, and then in that kind of next moment say, this is because of my righteousness. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that's pretty real, (laughs) because we all are kind of subject to this. Do not think this is because of you. God knows, Moses knows, that as they receive the blessings of, of listening to God and following Him, that they will turn from their dependence on God and trust in themselves. Again, how often in our own life have we found seasons of blessing and kind of actually just got casual with God? Thanks, God. (laughs) That's enough for now. (laughs) Uh, Maybe a bit more blessing even. (laughs) God takes a back seat in these moments. 
But, you know, it's, as we look across to some of these verses here, uh, actually, that's, that's why I looked at chapter 9, not chapter, uh, not chapter uh, 8. And so, is, as, um, uh, be careful, so verse 11, be careful, this is chapter 8, that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep His commands, ordinances and statues that I am giving you today, when you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in and your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold multiply and everything else you have increased, uh, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not forget. Do not forget. And do not think that you have done this in your own strength. You may say to yourself, verse 17, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. Isn't that crazy? Now, each one of us here, uh, online and in the building, have been gifted gifts by God. Uh, that, that could be your own talents, your passions, even your possessions. You know, some of you are born into circumstances that mean you are more well-off than others, Right? Isn't it crazy to think that we use all of those and then go, pretty good, <laughs> and yet we do. This is the reason we say grace before dinner, right? And so, when, when uh, Moses says, but remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm, confirm His covenant He swore to your fathers as it is to this day, it's the Lord that gives you these things, and we say grace before dinner, for example, even though we might just have made the dinner, right? We say, thank you, Lord, for this food. Hey, but I just bought that food. <laughs> I just made that food. Uh, thank me for the dinner. No, 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 God gives us everything, and we are called to respond to Him, our great Creator, our great Provider. How dare we be so fickle as to think it is in our strength? Well, the antidote to the poison that lives in our heart in this regard is actually pretty heavy. And I think it's appropriate that at some point in Deuteronomy, we kind of wrestle with kind of some of the things that's on the table as God speaks His truth and His power. Uh, and Moses calls them to pay attention to this. And so, the next part is to remember the holiness of God. Verse 19 of chapter 8, if ever you forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve them and bow in worship to them, I testify against you, Moses says to Israel, God's people, His beloved people, today that you will perish. Whoa. If you abandon the God that has led you out of suffering, out of sin and redeemed you to lead you into blessing towards Himself. If you forget that, there is no hope for you. But more than that, as we go into the next, next chapter, and, and as Moses recounts kind of how the people that they feared over into the, in the Promised Land, how they were strong and tall, uh, but, but reminds them that God is a consuming fire, verse 3, and He will devastate and subdue them before you you will drive them out and destroy them swiftly. Do you see God's holiness here? As God moves His people into His promised land, 
God is going to wipe out those in the land before them. That's kind of scary. And that kind of sits uncomfortably with us, does it not? Is God a God of genocide? I told you it would get heavy. We've got to kind of make sense of this because as we are called to to listen to God, to obey Him, and as I've already made reference to, uh, the reason we're kind of suspicious of obedience is because we we distrust the authorities above us and maybe those who, who claim to know more than us. God has to be good for us to actually listen to Him, to obey Him. And so, as Moses speaks into their heart that so quickly forgets God and thinks of, you know, their own power and strength. He reminds them of the holiness of God, the consuming fire nature of God. But as we look at that aspect of God, it also scares us. Let me just try and... I've sort of opened up Pandora's box here, but let let me just try and make sense of this a little bit here. Uh, This is a great book by Paul Copen. Uh, really answering kind of uh, the, the claim of something like um, uh, Dawkins, where, where Dawkins says, uh, you know, in part, in looking at aspects of Scripture like this one, Dawkins says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Tell us what you really think, Dawkins. Jealous and proud of it, a petty and unjust, unforgiving control freak a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, uh, it just goes on, sadomatochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Again, tell us what you think. But, But there's parts of Scripture that kind of go, wow, is God a bully? Is He a God of genocide? And so Paul Copen has spent time wrestling with Passage of Scripture like this, where God, in His consuming fire, cleanses the land, judges with what looks like a heavy hand. How might we make sense of this? Well, there's a couple of points that I put on the screen to help us think well about this. Now, it's the Canaanites on the other side of the, of the promised line border that they're being brought into. Uh, back in Genesis 15, uh, God says, the sin of the Amorites, a Canaanite people group, had not yet reached its limit. Do you see that? The sin of this people had not yet reached its limit back in, back in Genesis. And so, as God looks at the people of the earth, He can see their sin, and as a holy God, that is a blight on His creation. And He, and he is provoked to anger because He is a God of justice. And yet, there is some kind of gracious limit to that. They have not yet sinned sufficiently for me to intervene, God is saying in Genesis 15. And yet somehow, as we hit Deuteronomy, in God's sovereign plan, He is bringing His people into the land in a timing that enacts His justice upon them. Uh, That is, if we look at verse 4, instead, the Lord will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness. It's not just a case of, hey guys, I've got a special land for you, I'm just going to wipe out these people just so that you can have, you know, this special little spot, right? It's not just that, it's actually God enacting His sovereign plan and His justice upon wickedness. 
Uh, Copen also points us to the fact that this is not just a simple case of God's intolerance. So, as God calls us from the Ten Commandments uh, to obey God only, to have one God, it's not just a case of anyone who disobeys that instantly gets kind of wiped off. You know, for instance, in Amos uh, 1 and 2, so a lot of the minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament are quite full of God's justice and judgment. Uh, God says this, it's not because they don't worship Yahweh, but because of outrageous moral acts. And throughout Scripture, we hear some of the examples of the outrageous moral acts, uh, children being sacrificed uh, to idols, um, uh, the way that uh, women and, and others are treated, uh, the kind of the, the acts of violence perpetrated against their own people and others. God sees all of this, and God is rightly angry. Uh, thirdly, and I think it's helpful for us to notice this, is that Israel uh, were forged in, in the promises made to Abraham. Do you remember what they were? The three promises. This is kind of like Sunday school lesson. Uh, three promises, what were they? That's one of them. What was the first one? God promised them land, which is actually what we're about to head into, that they would be a, 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 a numerous people and that they would be a blessing to the world. And, and as God brought His people out of Egypt in a, with a mighty hand, it was on display for all to see that this is a God of power and also a God who cares. Who, who, what other nation uh, has God near them, like Israel, we've been told? And all people were able to see that. Uh, and the Canaanites would have been one of those. They could have said, we see your God at work. But they chose to disobey. They chose to continue in wickedness. And, uh, and that's kind of the same case that Paul makes in Romans 1 to 3, uh, of how God's glory has been revealed to all, but we choose to ignore it. Uh, there's some other points there. Um, I, I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to go into those. A great quote from Miroslav Volf that um, you might ask me about later. But anyway, uh, I think what we're seeing here is that there's a whole bunch of things coming together, so it's not just kind of mere genocide. This is not the acts of kind of a, a, a pity, pitiful kind of bully. This is a God who cares about justice across the whole world. He sees all. And it is not because of their righteousness, Moses says to Israel. It's quite clear, six, uh, this is verse 6. Understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. So Israel is actually in the same boat as all, and all deserve judgment. Does that sound familiar? Romans 3, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, God is also merciful to those who call upon Him. God initiated this in calling a people to Himself, that they might then be a light to the nations. Do you see how this was supposed to work? And this is kind of where we're going to finish because we are called to remember the mercy of God. For as much as we look at the holiness of God, we have to answer the question, who will stand? It's not going to be Israel in their own strength. It's not going to be us in our own strength, for we too have fallen short of the glory of God. And then Moses goes on to recount, you guys have already screwed this up. <laughs> Do you remember the golden calf moment? You know that moment where, where God gave us the Ten Commandments, but I was up on the mountain and you were kind of melting down your gold to make a calf to say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Idiots but just another example of the sponge and the stuff that's in it. 
how quickly we are to say, this is in my strength. And in that moment, God was ready in His anger, in His righteous anger, to actually judge Israel. And yet, at the end of chapter 9, verse 25, Moses says, I fell down in the presence of the Lord 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had threatened to destroy you. I prayed to the Lord, Lord God, do not annihilate your people, your inheritance whom you redeemed through your greatness and brought out of Egypt with a strong hand. Remember, this is Moses now saying to God, remember your servants Israel, Isaac and Jacob. Disregard this people's stubbornness and sin. That's a big call. God, would you overlook the sin of the wickedness? Otherwise, those in the land you brought us from will say, because the Lord wasn't able to bring them, again, a big call, into the land He had promised them, and because He hated them, He brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. But they are your people, God, your inheritance, whom you brought out by your great power and outstretched arm. Moses lays down before the holy God, and appeals to the very character and promises of God. And you know what God does? He listens to, his, to this intercessor, the one who prays on behalf of Israel, the one who is pastorally caring for and leading Israel. The Lord said to me at that time, cut two stone tablets like the first ones and come to me on the mountain and make a wooden ark. And so, God continues in His mercy to provide and lead and care. How is God going to hold in tension His justice and His mercy? Is He more merciful than He is just? (laughs) Is that what Moses is appealing to? That's a hard question to answer. He is both just and merciful. But we'll let God hold that intention while we appeal to His character and His promises. Now, we too will fail here. We too will follow like Israel, so quickly to speak of our own strength and our own glory. And we invoke this holy God in anger, because He cares and loves for us. And yet, there is one greater than Moses, who now lives to intercede for you, Jesus Christ, who is the righteousness of God, who holds in tension God's justice and His mercy, took on the wrath that we deserved on that cross in those outstretched arms, as as He was stretched in the tension of God's justice and mercy, so that we might be brought into life, so that we might be brought into blessing, so that God would lead us home in the way that He was trying to, in the way that He was working through Moses and His people, but they failed and failed and failed. But Jesus did not. Jesus remained dependent. Jesus remained righteous. Jesus remained humble. Jesus remained prayerful. And as He listened to the Father, He carried out the Father's will and was so raised up from death to now sit at the right hand of the Father. And from there, He now intercedes That is, He stands before the Father and you, and He prays to the Father for you. Bring these people home. I will work in them and through them. Overlook their sin because of what I've done on the cross. 
and now our obedience looks like following Jesus. Don't assume that by God's mercy in Jesus, that we could just kind of sit in the vibe of the love of God. No, we are called to a radical following of Jesus. We are called to a dependence on God's Word daily. But know that as we fail daily, God's mercies are renewed every day. And so let us keep Jesus large in our vision. As we look to His guidance, as we radically obey His Word, and as we follow Jesus all the way home, even as we are brought into the very family of God. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your glory, Your bigness, Your wonder. For as much as we look at Your holiness and some of the the big things from this passage, we see how great You are, and yet we also see how small we are. We see how we deserve Your judgment, just as all do, and yet we see Your mercy. We see the Lord Jesus who calls us home, who shields us from judgment, that we might be renewed from the inside out. Father, renew our hearts as we are squeezed in various ways and all kinds of things come out. Father, would you transform us, clean us, wash us, that we might be yours and yours alone now and forever. Amen.